And now, let's talk. You're listening to the Cambridge Black Lives Matter series. This is an initiative by students at the University of Cambridge and Anglia Ruskin University to show their support for the Black Lives Matter movement despite the limitations of lockdown. We hope that what follows is thought-provoking and educational and further resources are available in the programme description. This is Cambridge student Majola Akinyemi in conversation with activist Ajaris Dixon following the panel at the Cambridge Union on police racism and brutality. I've heard from certain activists such as DeRay um, McKenton who says that we can call for reforms such as with the eight-point plan that supposedly reduces police violence by 72% in communities. Do you believe that eight can't wait or do you think that we can look towards sort of reforming the current system? I actually believe in, in police abolition. I know that it is visionary and in some ways can be um, can be hard for people to take in. But there's already a whole host of people who aren't reporting to the police for a whole series of forms of violence. There are a lot of folks who face violence when they navigate the police and the way that police don't take the issues of our community seriously or they are harmful or actively harmful. So what, what I believe is abolish the police, defund the police, invest in social programs, invest in our communities, increase the material conditions of oppressed people, right? And fund local work that helps intervene in violence. And um, if we think about emergency services, right? Um, your people are calling 911 for an ambulance. You don't need an officer there you need a medical professional, right? If somebody is having a mental health crisis, they need a mental health professional. If they're, so I really believe in supporting, building up stronger communities and, and stopping it as a way of reducing any need or any perceived need for the police because many communities aren't going to the police anyway. What you said about many communities not going to the police, I remember in the talk, um, you said that your mother or your grandmother didn't want to call the police because the police would do more harm than good in certain situations. Yeah, the history of the police in the US is um, deeply connected to slave patrol, to slave patrols. And the racist institution continues for years and years and years. So what I meant by my family is that my family grew up in segregated um, New Orleans where um, the police were really designed to protect white people and to arrest and attack black people. So if black people had a need, you don't call the police, right? You call a neighbor, <laughs> you call somebody else, you, you call a community elder, you might have called someone like a religious leader, you might have called a teacher, but you didn't call the police because the police by day were the Klan at night. And so, um, and the same thing with judges and all, right? Like the entire system like has a multi-generational history that's tied to the history of US of racism and oppression of black communities. 
So we are still reforming a system that's inherently racist. Otherwise, as Alex was saying in the panel, some of these reforms would work. So in terms of abolishing the police, lots of people equate this as sort of lawlessness and a lack of like societal order. So how would you imagine a policeless society to look like after abolition? And how can we educate the wider public on this cultural shift to not equating it with sort of anarchy and fear and just like terror on the streets essentially? I think the police are terror on the streets. Like I, when I, I remember I first moved to New York City in the early 2000s and there was a, a policing program where the police would come, 10 police officers just walk down the street and frighten people, terrify people, terrorize people. So this idea that, that people who immediately, like when we have an issue, if one of my neighbors is playing music too loud, I don't call the police, I knock on her door, <laughs> right? If I did call the police, what has happened is then one of their, like, one of their kids gets like dragged out, dragged down the stairs, right? Like, so we, you know, I live in a building where the police um, um, patrol our hallways and our stairwells. And we don't feel safer, right? There's actually like our building is, as, is a part of a city program and they made a decision to, to do this. That doesn't make us safer, right? That means we are worried at any point, let's say someone doesn't have their ID on them, right? Then um, that's just a reason to harass, attack and terrorize. I do think that yes, our communities need support, right? So first, right? Like, Exactly, like why is homelessness, like why, why are we criminalizing social problems, right? Why do we arrest people when they need support? So what do you do instead of police? You invest in communities, right? And there are a whole host of underfunded <laughs> programs that address um, people who need support around, um, around drug use, people who need support um, getting housing, people who need violence intervention programs, domestic violence programs, sexual violence programs, right? We actually just allow people to get the support they need within their communities. One of the, re right, because we are funding the police, it takes away the opportunity to fund these other programs. And sometimes to get more funding, these programs are forced to collaborate with the police, even if they're, uh, the people they serve don't want that. Um, and so recognizing that there's a whole, like the majority of sexual violence that happens in the United States is not reported. Um, the most likely person, a person, um, when you, when a, when a person is raped, when a person experiences sexual violence, they are more likely to tell a friend. What would it mean to equip communities to hold sexual violence, right? As opposed to putting funding into people who at best are belittling survivors. So I don't think um, if you spend time in a black community in the US, you will experience, right? <laughs> a, a form of tyranny and lawlessness, but it's from the police, it's not us. In the panel, I remember someone saying that police often perpetrated of sort of sexual violence or domestic abuse and it's who, who do you want to, who do you speak to when do you want to report the police to the police? What do you do then? 
Um, so mass, mass incarceration in American society is incredibly prevalent. So with the country holding 25% of the world's prisoners, but only 5% of the world population. How far would you agree? I know you said that the police um, came from sort of slave catchers. How far would you agree that the, um, the criminal justice system as a whole is the new form of slavery? So regarding sort of the 13th Amendment of the American Constitution, where a man is free as long as they are not a criminal. Absolutely. I think the policing system and the prison system were designed to protect profit and capital and property. And you can see that as clear, like the simple example is that their history within slave patrols, but there's also history around policing poor people. That's, that goes back about as far as, as this country. So the idea that you lock people up for a whole host, right? You lock people up for using drugs. You lock people up for um, mental health issues. You lock people up, right? Yeah, it's it's mostly because um, people with privilege and people in power and people with money and particularly white, straight, cis, like um, rich people with money that's an oxymoron, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, they don't want to improve communities. They want to decimate communities, right? And so criminalization um, actually arrests people and puts them in prison for problems we can solve, right? Um, but you have to, to criminalize the people, you have to dehumanize them. Um, and, and, that's, and that's why people turn to the criminal, people with privilege turn to um, the criminal legal system as a solution because it's literally a deep rooted, um, it's a deep rooted thought in the back of people's minds that we're not human. So again, sort of dehumanization, guessing its roots from slavery. Yeah. I mean, you have to dehumanize a people to enslave them. You have to dehumanize um, indigenous people to take their land, right? You have to, right? Like, like it's, that's, um, so when you have a country and systems built on the inherent belief that some people are, are human and some people were property and some people were exposable or deserve to die. And you build your systems from that mindset and from that belief system, then they will carry that belief system, right? So we actually have to empower and build up communities and use that as a way to challenge the, the racism, the settler colonialism and the classism that is connected to the dehumanization of our peoples. Um, so I know you're very big on grassroots sort of organization, though at the same time, this comes sort of entwined with political change. How far would you say they interact so in order to create social change? Do you think people should go to the ballot box? Like, or do you, like, how do you think we should get to the point where we can sort of phase out the police? Yeah, I think of it as a both end. People need, um, People need an improvement in their material conditions to live, right? The best way to get an improvement in your material 
um, conditions is to have more political power. And sometimes it's hard to do both, right? Like it's hard if your family is struggling to also be on the streets, but that's, that's why I think um, community support systems and political change are actually best intertwined. Uh, so, so like, and it's a thing you'll see, you'll see grassroots organizations who sometimes only periodically participate in the political process when they, when they run out of money. And there's a lot of um, ways that in the legal system um, in the funding legal system in the U.S., there is a way, there's a, there's a designation that you can receive money from individuals and they'll get tax breaks from it if you agree to like severely limit your political work and severely limit your political impact. So it's actually a structural, um, it's a legal structural designation, but we make change when we build power and sometimes to, to build power, we need to make sure that our folks are eating. We can do both. Right, like we can, we can feed and educate our people, and also educate them about the political process and support them in deepening their political power. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Those are those are all the questions I had for you today. It's been um, fantastic speaking to you. And um, just to note to anyone listening, if you haven't listened to the police violence talk um, that was on the Cambridge Union, it is available on their YouTube channel. That was Majoda Akinyemi in conversation with the Jarrah Dixon. The full Cambridge Union panel is linked in the programme description. Do you care? Do you? You've been listening to the Cambridge Black Lives Matter series with your host, Eliza Pepper. Our music is Average Girl by Cambridge student Miss Eva Johnson, and her further work is linked in the programme description. But let's not end this conversation here. We would love for your thoughts or further involvement. Please get in touch via email on news at camfm.co.uk. We hope you've enjoyed our series.